Welcome to the Hunt the West podcast, where it's all about getting outside, experiencing the outdoors, and having epic adventures. At Hunt the West, my number one goal for you is to get out and hunt. I'm Skylar Harrison. I'm your host. Thanks for tuning in today. We're back. It's been a minute since the last episode, and we're coming back with a Q&A episode. So we haven't done one of these in a while. The last one went really well. I got a lot of feedback from you. So all these questions are from if you follow me on Instagram at huntthewest.us, then you saw my story. Well, or maybe, I don't know if you're on Instagram that day. I'm super bad at Instagram. So you have to just be there the day that I post. Anyway, I got some Instagram questions. I did lose some of them because again, I suck at Instagram. And so I kind of lost some of the questions in there, but I remembered some of them. I wrote them down. So, and then the rest of the questions have come from, um, if you're on the email list, I sent out an email and asked for questions. And those of you who responded to that and, um, that's where all these questions are coming from. So as always, you can always email me at skylar at huntthewest.us and send your questions anytime. And I will answer, I answer every email and every comment on Instagram and every DM. So if you have other questions that we don't cover today, then just send them in and we'll uh, do one of these again. And if you do want to get on that newsletter, so you don't miss other email blasts that go out, I don't email very often to be totally honest. But if you want to get on that email list and so you don't miss any upcoming Q&A episodes or any other information, go to huntthewest.us slash newsletter and get on the email list. I promise I won't spam you or sell your email, any of that. Scout's honor. So let's just get straight into it. So we got a bunch of questions here. We're going to answer them all. And then at the end, I'm going to do this new thing that I think I might make it, it, I don't know if I'll make it a new type of episode or something, but I'm going to do like things I've been into lately, like thing of the week or something like that. I might call it something like that. Thing of the week, just little things hunting related or not that I've been into lately and that you might be interested in learning about. So that'll be at the end. So stick around until the end. You can get my thing of the week. All right. So let's just jump straight into these questions. All right. First question comes from Instagram. Um, how long do you go hunting for? So as long as I can, is the answer, but obviously family is my number one. If my wife needs me to stay home, I stay home. If my kids need me to stay home, I stay home. I love hunting a lot, but honestly, my family, I love my family more. So you can say what your priorities are, but where you spend your time will indicate it more than any, you know, any words will. What do they say? Actions speak louder than words. So anyway, but to answer the question more directly, usually around four days is what I do and um, what my family, my work and my church responsibilities will allow. So usually I do them in chunks around four days and I typically get out at least twice during archery season and then once during the rifle season. Um, So that's usually how it goes. But yeah, the short answer is as long as I can, as many days as I possibly can, I'm going to be hunting. Oh, and then turkey season. I forgot about turkey season. I get out for turkeys just like after work and like wherever it fits in the schedule. I don't usually camp out or anything like that. All right. So next question, tips for hunting new areas. So this is a common question because yeah, like it sucks to go in blind when you only have a little bit of time, like a couple of days and your area that you're going to be hunting is like a five or eight hour drive or whatever it is. You're not going to be able to get into that area until hunting season, most likely. And so you just need to make the most of it. And so that's tough. But in the end, you don't really know what is going on for sure until you get boots on the ground in the unit. But there are a bunch of things that you can do to increase your chances. So I get this question a lot. I'm actually going to do 
an entire episode on the subject. And obviously I'm no expert, but I seem to always find something that I'm looking for whenever I go into a new area. And I have a hundred little tips, but really it all comes down. I'll just give a few of them here, like in some general overview for hunting a new area, especially an area that's far away. It all comes down to e-scouting, looking at maps a ton until you figure out what looks the best. Then after that, it comes down to having a lot of backup plans so that you don't even have to think about it when something goes wrong and it it inevitably will and you have to like switch areas or whatever so you have to have clear backup plans and you have to have a lot of them so the entire episode will be coming up so stay tuned if you want to hear more about that but yeah onyx maps google maps all the mapping softwares there's like little tips so you can get pictures from google about what the area looks like and then you can match that up with vegetation and see what you're getting into because there's nothing worse than like looking at a bunch of green trees and you think that they're aspens or something and then you get in there and it's actually scrub oak and it's actually impossible to navigate i hate that and that's happened to me before but anyway i'll get into a lot more specifics in that episode the dedicated episode to that subject for hunting new areas especially areas that are far away because yeah that's a common question okay next question do you bone out or quarter your animal in the field So although I can see myself in situations where boning out would be great, I never do it. I also haven't ever been presented with an entire elk to carry out by myself. So if I was in that situation and I'm like several miles in, I probably would bone out to cut cut down on weight because elk are huge and heavy and that's just a daunting task to do by yourself or even with one other person. Like it's just, it's just daunting. It's just, they're so huge. But to answer the question, I almost exclusively do the gutless method and I put the, the quarters in the game bags that I have. I use Black Ovis game bags and I haul it out bone in and that, that has worked well for me. So learning the gutless method is is a really important thing, especially if you're going to be hunting out west and you're not, you know, a drag away from a vehicle or something. Next question. Do you use a bipod, shooting sticks, or do you use your pack and or any natural rests you can find? So yeah, I use my pack. A lot of the time, a bipod would be helpful, but a lot of the time you don't need it at all. So I've never been inclined to spend the money on a bipod because I have never needed it or I've never been in a situation where I was like, dang it, I wish I had a bipod. Um, I'm sure they, they come in handy and you can use a bipod in combination with a pack and like get above some brush a lot of times. So they have their place. And if you have one, like definitely use it. But if you're like getting into rifle hunting or something and you don't know, you're like, oh, do I have to have a bipod? The answer is no, you do not need that. Practice shooting off of your pack and your pack is actually a really good shooting rest, especially when you have it full of stuff and you can like settle it down and you can you can kind of dig your rifle in and get a nice rest and then um, I've also found that if you do use a bipod on top of a pack sometimes it's hard to get like a rear rest um, and you have to be kind of sitting up anyway so um, I've used my pack vertically so well yeah like vertically you stand it up and I've kind of sat in a I don't know how to describe it like like cross-legged and holding the pack vertically and then resting my rifle like that. And that worked well. Um, There's, there's just a million situations that you can be in while you're hunting and a bipod is not helpful in all those situations. Um, So shooting sticks are kind of the same thing. They have like these cool things that you can use with your trekking poles to turn your trekking poles into shooting sticks, but I've never used them. Um, Some guys really like them, but that, that is another option that you can use. 
but if you can find a tree or you just practice shooting from a crouch position with your pack, that's going to be really good for a lot of situations. And then obviously if you can get prone using your pack is going to be the best way, but yeah, um, finding natural rest, but in like wide open country, your pack is going to be really, really great. That's going to be a great rest. All right. Next question. What, what's your opinion on scent blockers and camo for rifle hunting in pretty big open space in Nevada? So although I've never hunted in Nevada, I've been out there and it's a lot like Wyoming and Utah in a lot of places. So I've never used scent blockers, so I can't really say if they work or not, but I know that especially for rifle hunting, you don't need to worry about scent almost at all. The deer are going to smell you as soon as you step out of the truck and especially if the wind is not in your favor. So you got to keep the wind in your favor and you don't have to worry. And then you don't have to worry about scent blockers at all. Um, So especially in open places like Nevada, you're probably looking at shots that are longer than 200 yards a lot of the time. And as long as you're not blowing out stuff that's right next to you with the wind, like walking up above a thicket or something that is likely to hold deer and uh, the wind is going down, like you, in most situations, you're going to be um, good. <laughs> so you're, um, you have to keep the wind in your favor and know where the animals are going to be. And then uh, even then, if you spook something out at that range, you're going to be able to just shoot it. So it's not as important, especially with archery hunting. Like, well, I guess it's not necessarily archery hunting, but hunting in the West where you're hiking a lot in big open spaces and you have to travel long distances and, and you're getting sweaty, you're as soon as you start sweating, you're just going to be stinky again. And then also, I just really don't think that you can fool a deer's nose. Like you might confuse it a little bit with a scent blocker and, and buy yourself a time, a little bit of time or something. But I see that more effective in, in like whitetail situations where you're in a tree stand and you can't move and you can quietly get into an area without stinking up the place. Just people spray down before they get into their tree stand. And in some situations, I think that that is going to be effective, although I've never done it. Um, I know those hunters out in the East, Midwest, they swear by their scent blocking protocols and it's like a religion. So I'm sure it has some merit. But for me, in where, where I hunt out here in the West, I never have done anything with scent blockers. I just keep the wind in my favor. I use that scent checker or the, not the, the wind checker, the puff bottle. I have that on my bino harness or in my pocket and I'm just puffing that thing all day long, keeping the wind in my favor. So I think that's the only real way to beat their nose is to just not allow them to smell you at all. Cause if the wind is bad, they're going to smell you. I'm sure you've all heard of like tracking dogs and bloodhounds and stuff. They get sprayed in the face by a skunk and they can still get onto a cougar track. So I, I just don't have and, and deer and elk have really strong noses too. So I just don't see, even if it cuts down your scent, like 95%, you're still 5% human and you're going to like, they're going to find that anyway. So yeah, I'm not against scent blockers. Like I, they've got to do something, but I just don't think that they're going to, they're worth, they're worth it. <laughs> Honestly, they're just, I don't think they're worth it. Now, as far as camo in that, that same situation, like long distances, open terrain in Nevada, um, especially at long distances, you're just going to look like a dark person-shaped object from far away, no matter what camo pattern you were wearing pretty much some of them might be better than others in open country and dry conditions you know the larger patterns um but if you've ever seen people from far away out in the open no matter what camo pattern they're wearing they just look like a black blob so um the best camo is just staying hidden behind trees and in the shadows 
not getting skylined, um, you know, walk, not walking ridges where the deer can or elk can look up at you and you're skylined. And f- so for rifle hunting, in my opinion, camo is just not necessary. I'll say it. It's just, it's not necessary. But if you're going to spend money on nice performance clothing from a hunting company, you might as well just get the camo pattern unless you want to use it in other situations like around town or daily use. If your wife doesn't like you wearing camo like mine, (laughs) but if you're going to stay home because you don't have camo, you're making a mistake. And I'd say that for bow hunting too. I don't think it's necessary. It's kind of like it, it helps you get away with a little bit more. So in that little situation, if you stay still there, they might just be a little bit more confused than they would if you're wearing a bright blue shirt or something. Um, it just helps break up your outline, but they're going to see you even if, if you're standing out in the open, no matter what. So the best camo is staying in the shadows, staying in the trees, staying behind things, staying in front of things so that your background is broken up by the vegetation behind you, stuff like that. So yeah, both of those things have their place, but they're not going to prevent you from getting spotted or detected because you know deer want to live they don't care if you're not invisible by wearing camo and spraying a scent blocker on yourself so hopefully that answers that so next question when you find a pretty big area to glass how long do you stay before moving on so this is something i struggle with a lot too uh sometimes you look at a hillside for 30 minutes and there's nothing there and you just want to move on so the answer to this question is nuanced and it depends on a lot of things so if it's prime time like first light or last light and you sit there the whole and you scan the whole area the entire prime time and you don't see anything then you might want to switch areas so like if you go a morning and an evening and you don't see anything you should probably consider moving um it depends on other things too so that might not be true it might be worth it to stick it out so if you walk through the area and you're glassing or that you walk through the area that you've been glassing or you, that you've glassed or that you're going to be glassing and you're, you walk through that area and you see fresh sign, you might be inclined to stay a little bit longer than if you hadn't walked through the area and you don't know if there's fresh sign. So it, let's say you sit a morning and you don't see anything and then you walk through it during the middle of the day when things are bedded down and you don't see fresh sign. I'd spend that the rest of that midday when things are a little bit slower and I'd spend that time traveling to a new spot for the evening and try a new spot for the evening. So if you, you just have to take everything into account and follow your gut, really. Do you think that you've seen everything in there or that there's nothing in there? Do you need to spend a little bit more time? Can you save or can you get a different angle on an opening and see a little bit better? Have you seen animals in there before? These are all the types of questions that you need to ask yourself before giving up on an area and moving on. My experience has generally been that they don't move much. Um, this goes for deer and elk, really. If you've seen something in there and you have no reason to believe that they've been spooked off into the next canyon, they might just be in a slightly different spot, you know, around a ridge or something, a little lower elevation, a little bit higher elevation, but maybe they're not in the exact same meadow. But if you're not seeing fresh sign and you go in there and there's not a whole lot of evidence that you should stick around, then you can move on. You just kind of have to use your hunter instincts and take everything into account. So hopefully that helps you battle with that. But honestly, I still battle with that question to know how long to look at something before moving on. Next question. How have you adapted adapted to increasing amount of hunters, private land, and population decline? So anymore, it seems like everyone and their dog is hunting the same hillside as you. 
So especially last year with lockdowns and COVID and everything, it seems like everyone discovered, you know, that outside exists and people can go enjoy it. And overall, I think that's a positive in my eyes. So like, yeah, it stinks to see a lot of people, but ultimately the more people who believe in hunting and do it, the more chance we have of keeping this tradition alive. So I'm all for it. Now, I'm not sure what you mean exactly about uh, population decline. There have been a little bit of decline in some areas across the West as far as like deer numbers and the herd numbers, but overall deer and elk herds are doing really well across the West. There is a natural like ebb and flow to population numbers as conditions change. And of course, the old timers will say that it's not like it used to be back when I was a kid. And that may be true. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, But I've definitely seen a lot more big bucks from the 60s and the 50s. And there, there might not be as many big bucks as there used to be. That may be true. But all things considered, I still think we're in the good old days of hunting and public lands right now. There is so much public land in the West and most of it is huntable and has animals on it. And if you just think about it, like just the fact that you can go harvest an animal with your own two hands and you don't have to pay for a lease from a rancher or a land holding company or something, I think that is a wild success. There is a lot to be proud of in this country and our public lands are one of the reasons why I love living in the West. What I found is helpful in combating like the increase of hunters is to just go farther. So this, I found this to be true, especially like elk, elk hunting last year. I was in this area that there was a well-traveled road and there was kind of a trailhead. The road ended and all the all the trucks were parked right there at the end of the trailhead. Um, and in that canyon and in that area, like you could get away from people. I didn't see many people within a mile of the road, but I knew that most people were like doing circles around in there and cl- staying close to the road. So I just went like three miles and went over a couple hills and that's where I found the elk and they were in there and they were in there thick so I think when it comes to lots of hunters you just have to go farther and the truth is most people are not going to go farther yeah you might find like a couple extra campsites back in the backcountry than you used to but there's still enough space and the animals are going to find those pockets and you just have to find them too so yeah I guess that's all I have to say about that (laughs) just go farther beat beat everyone else be better get in shape and be able to go farther than the guy sitting in his truck glassing from the road so anyway all right and then here's the last question this is an easy one what backpack are you running so uh i think i mentioned this earlier in a podcast i can't remember but i am running the exo mountain gear 4800 and i have the born and raised version of it so there's like a couple little extra things and modifications of the normal 4800 but this year I'm going to be doing some backpack hunting, which I haven't done before. And so I'm really excited. I have wanted a pack that is more fitted to backpacking and honestly just carrying loads better. Like my pack before I was running the Badlands 2200. That pack was great. I packed out a bunch of animals with it. Worked great. Carried weight really well. The problem is it was just too small to, uh, to backpack with. And there are a couple other little things that I didn't like. Honestly, it didn't really work well when it was almost completely empty. So as a day pack, it was actually worse than the 4800 is because the the XO pack just compresses so nicely and you can turn it into like basically nothing, which is great. And that lid, like I can, when I'm going just out for a day hike or something, I can fit everything I need basically in that lid and I'll just compress down everything else. And then you 
can hike around with the pack that you're going to be using, which I like to do. The other thing I like about the XO pack is it just handles weight so well. So what one thing I've been doing is strapping a 50 pound bag of salt, like for my water softener. I just strap that to my pack and I've been hiking around with that. And um, I'm just amazed how heavy it is when it's on the ground, like picking it up off the ground. I'm like, holy smokes, that's heavy. Then you get it on your back and you have a well-fitted pack and they have these great videos to show how to fit your pack properly. Once I got my pack fitted properly and then strapped a bunch of weight to it, I was just blown away at how well it carried. And I felt like I was flying up the mountain. Hitting the stair stepper at the gym helps with that too. So yeah, I'm running the XL Mountain Gear 4800 and I need to update that on the website. I have I'll, I'll do that before this episode goes live, but um, if you go to huntthewest.us slash gear, you'll see all the stuff that I've been using and my whole gear list is there. I'm pretty sure. If I'm missing something, just send me an email, skylar at huntthewest.us and have me add it. You're like, hey, what are you using for whatever, you know, whatever I forgot. And some things have changed too, which actually brings me to the next segment. The final segment of this podcast is I think I'm just going to call it thing of the week, even though it might be like more than one thing, but who knows? Maybe I'll make this its own podcast. Like I'll do a separate episode on this in the future and I'll just have like thing of the week and, uh, and then we'll have like the big longer episodes for the other stuff. Anyway, we'll see. Just let me know. Yeah. Like I, if your feedback, it means everything to me. Cause like right now I'm just sitting in a room by myself talking to a computer. So, uh, yeah, I, I need your feedback. So if you like the, the Q and a episodes, if you like the thing of the week, then just let me know. So here's thing of the week. So right now, I, if you listened to the podcast for a amount of time, you know that I lost my rangefinder. I lost it when I was elk hunting last November and then it snowed. And I went up there in the springtime after the snow had melted and I looked for it and I couldn't find it. Anyway, long story short, I bought a new rangefinder. I, it hurt, but it was necessary. And so I got the Leica 2400R, which is a pretty nice rangefinder. And I've been very, very happy with it. So right now I, that's like my thing of the week is this new rangefinder. I'm stoked on it. I talked to a few people. I was learning about rangefinders and I, I, you know, I reached out to, um, Cody Nelson at Go Hunt. So Go Hunt is great. They have a gear shop there and then they just always have people that will help you, you know, talk through, your decisions. If you're ever wondering about what gear to get, Go Hunt is a great resource for that kind of stuff. So I talked to Cody Nelson. He's the optics manager at Go Hunt. I talked to him and then I happened to get on on Instagram when Remy Warren was doing uh, a live on IG. What do they call it? Like Instagram live. And I asked him the question about rangefinders and he answered my question. So I got, and it's not like I called him up. I'm like, hey, Remy, you know, I don't have that kind of Rolodex. <laughs> so um, I just happened to be on the Instagram live and he answered my question. I asked him and then I reached out to another podcaster. If you've heard of the Finding by a Country podcast with Dustin Whitwer, I reached out to him. He is kind of a gear nut and I trust his opinion. I reached out to him and they all kind of said the same thing is like, yeah, the lower end range finders will work, but you're going to really appreciate the higher end ones better. So I kind of took their word for it, went with the 2400, the Leica 2400R, and I that thing is just phenomenal. Like it's it's a lot lighter than the one that I had. Well, I didn't weigh it, but um, it just feels lighter. I was running the Vortex 18, the Ranger 1800, I think is what it was before. And that was fine. But um, one thing I didn't like about it is it didn't give you uh, decimals, like 25.8 yards. So like, I don't know, I just, I kind of liked more exact yardage. And then... The other thing that I I 
should include here with thing of the week is I also got a rangefinder pouch and a lanyard <laughs> because before I was just running the ranger and it has a clip on it. I was clipping it to my bino harness and it, it would fall off when I'd like jump off a log or something. It would like pop off, but I'd always just like grab it, pick it up, put it back on. But one time I tripped, didn't notice that it fell off and now it's gone. So yeah, I also invested, I invested in a rangefinder pouch and a lanyard. So hopefully I, this is the last rangefinder that I have to buy ever because uh, yeah, I mean, it's, they're not cheap. So I got the marsupial gear rangefinder pouch, which is awesome. So I'm going to include that here too, because it's, it's a magnetic closure. It doesn't have like a bungee with a little clip. I have always just not really liked that about rangefinder pouches, which is why I didn't run one. Um, and this has a magnet to hold it closed and to hold it open. So you, when you're on a stock, you can just gently pull that magnet open. It closes really quietly and it opens really quietly and then it stays open if you need it. And then you can just pull up that rangefinder, drop it back silently back into the pouch and go on your stock. Um, so that was one thing that I really drew me to that. And then I got it in my hands and it's just like really high quality made in America, all stuff I love. So I'm stoked on that marsupial gear rangefinder pouch and I'm probably going to end up getting their bino harness too because it's the same kind of thing. I'm totally happy with my bino harness now, but uh yeah, that closure, the magnetic closure and the way that it opens away from you. So the marsupial gear rangefinder pouch or sorry, the bino harness, it also opens away from you. One thing that I don't like about my current bino harness is that it opens toward me. So you kind of lift up the flap and it hits you in the face to get out the binos out of the harness, which is fine. Like it obviously works just fine, but I just like the idea of being able to fold it away from me and then have the magnets hold it open so I can slide those binos in and out without making any noise. So I'm probably going to end up getting their bino harness eventually too. It's just, it's, it's all priorities, you know, it's like, what, what do I need more than that? Oh, I got a timer going off. That is to take the bread out of the oven. My wife's making some bread. Anyway, where was I? So yeah, I'm probably going to end up getting that bino harness too eventually, but I've just got to sort out my priorities here. And obviously I'm going to leave links to all the things that I'm talking about, or you can go to huntthewest.us slash 57. You'll see the all the full show notes there. So huntthewest.us slash 57, see the full show notes, or you can go to huntthewest.us slash gear, see the gear list there and everything that I've mentioned in this episode. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you enjoyed thing of the week. Let me know. I would love your feedback on this, on honestly anything to do with the podcast. I just love hearing from you guys as always. So send me an email at skyler at huntthewest.us or you can DM me on Instagram at huntthewest.us. I answer every single email, every direct message. So hit me up. And that information is in the podcast show notes too. So thanks for listening. I hope you are getting ready for your scouting season and stuff. We'll talk about that stuff next week. All that scouting, e-scouting and all that. And until next time, get out there and hunt the West. Hunt the West.